Good morning, Caroline. It's nice to meet you and congratulations on being nominated a fellow of IBC. My name is Stephen Welch. I'm past chair of IBC MENA region, and this is the latest in our series of podcasts. I'm interviewing Caroline Sapriel, who's recently been nominated as an IBC fellow. So congratulations, Caroline. Perhaps if you can just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to become a fellow of the IABC. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be selected as a fellow of the class 2021. It's a real honor. Actually, my relationship to IABC goes back a long way, uh, 1987 to be precise. I had gone to Asia after studying Mandarin and Sinology and ended up in Taiwan. After, I think, a year, I got a job with the Hill and Knowlton affiliate. And it was actually the first time an international PR firm had a representation in Taipei. And so it was an ad agency and they needed somebody to do the PR. And because I could write and I had a little bit of experience, I, I was hired. And we did a lot of the work for Hill and Knowlton clients in Asia, but we also did a little bit of our own. And so quickly I realized there was not much in terms of education or support. Yeah. And one of my colleagues at the Hill and Knowlton Hong Kong office said, oh, you should join IABC. And so I joined and I was the first member in Taiwan to join. Fantastic. I didn't know that. And I subsequently in 1990 moved to Hong Kong, been a member without interruption all these years. But then in Hong Kong, I decided to get involved on the chapter board. And the area that was always interesting to me, and this is where I served both in Hong Kong, in Europe and Belgium, was professional development. The profession was really still developing. Hong Kong was a bit better than Taiwan, mm -hmm. but it was still developing. The big firms were there. And I wanted to make sure that people got good education and growth. And so that's what I did. And I served there when I was, you know, all these years, I was in Hong Kong for eight years, then moved to Europe, well, kind of half-half, but had set up a base in Belgium. There I joined the chapter in Belgium and then continued to work on professional development on the chapter. Mm -hmm. I then joined European board for a while. I contributed, I think, for the first Eurocom. Eurocom. I had attended quite a few of the world conferences, thought it was, wow. As you're an upcoming professional, there's so much you can get. And so then I also was asked to contribute and serve on the Global Conference Program Committee. And then I was asked to serve as a founding member of the Global Ethics Committee. So over the years, quite a lot of different things. And it's yeah. been wonderful. Very good. I mean, I think the, the World Conference has got to be the highlight for anybody in their communication career. We've had a couple of really successful virtual ones, but I know a lot of people can't wait to the next one where we all get to meet in person again. Yeah. And you run your own agency, don't you? Well, it's not an agency because we are really a risk crisis and business continuity consultancy. We started 30 years ago this year. So, wow, congratulations. Yeah, so we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. After experience in crisis from the communications angle, working for a couple of big firms, I felt that the communications piece to trying to get organizations better prepared for crises was a bit limited. And so we embarked in 1991, starting in Hong Kong, with trying to provide a more integrated approach to okay. crisis preparedness looking at risk, looking at emergency crisis response, crisis communication, and business continuity. And in the mid-90s, after starting in Hong Kong in 91, we started taking on assignments from European clients in Europe. And so okay. it makes sense in 98 to set up a base here, and we really work everywhere. We have key geographic bases, 
Our team is only senior people. We're not really structured like an agency. And we work mostly to help clients build resilience before or after a crisis. And what are some of your other career highlights over the past 30 or so years? Well, handling the first major crisis, which kind of was the turning point in why I chose to focus on crisis management. It was a bit of baptism of fire. I was quite young. And it was a dramatic crisis. It was a major air crash with 259 people. And I handled media. I handled next of kin. And I learned a lot during this case that actually I've kept with me on, on many occasions across different clients in my career. I, I would say the second milestone is having started in Hong Kong with my business partner. My first project was Cathay Pacific, who had been a client in the agency for us saying we need a crisis manual. We only have an ENA, an emergency and accident manual, and you're the only one we know that could write it. And another thing that really moved us into a bigger scope of service is when Shell Greater China asked us to develop a large simulations for their exploration business. And we were up against the big agencies and we won it. And so those are major milestones. And then of course, setting up in Europe, and moving to other parts of the world, doing very large projects. Yeah, I think those were like incremental. We decided to focus on adding value to clients. I think, yeah. you know, you've, you've exposed to crisis management. You, I'm sure you know that the profession has evolved quite a bit. And a lot of the large companies have a lot of in-house capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so what we wanted to do was to make sure that we continue to add values to these organizations. Yeah providing either digital solutions or ways to do things better, faster, more efficiently, more cost-effectively. So that's an area where we moved into a lot. We developed a number of digital tools. We can run virtual simulations. We've done a lot of things. And all those are proprietary tools, yeah. but also continuing, you know, as obviously now everybody's jumping on this bandwagon, especially now, even more with pandemic, everybody feels that they need to be prepared. Yeah. Uh, clearly, it, it's kind of ca cascading down that know-how to other organizations who need to put in place things that the multinationals have bigger resources to do in-house. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about how the crisis profession has changed. In your career, how have you seen the communication profession evolve? It's interesting because I still do some work in communication. And what I'm finding, and I, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur when I say this, but the internet and the web and social network has meant that a lot of people really have marketing or branding communication experience, but that's about it. So yeah. the, there's a major erosion, my feeling among the younger people coming into the profession they don't necessarily know how to write, don't understand how news media work. So there's a whole bunch of like the main pillars, which I consider mm -hmm. part of the profession, which don't seem to be there because Instagram is <laughs> part of the day. They can write 280 characters, but when they get to 281, yeah. it's done. <laughs> and when you see people jumping from this level of know-how being thrown either into managing a big issue or a crisis, yeah. They can't do it. And what role do you think IABC can play in supporting that and helping people to be more successful? I think that there's got to be, and I, and I speak from professional development point of view, yeah. 
I think IBC now has a crisis academy. A lot of it is webinar. I don't think the webinars are particularly dynamic. It's one person speaking. It really is a webinar. It's information tra you know, mm -hmm. transfer, but it doesn't mean it's raising the bar for, for, for the younger people coming in the community. And, and I say this because I've got quite a few clients at the moment asking me to run masterclasses and conversations okay. because there are younger people in their teams around the world just don't have the exposure to this. Yeah. So I think that's professional development at the lower level exposure to how does a news desk work? <laughs> How does how do you how do you write in such a way that that it makes it compelling and not yeah. just a promotional pitch? Uh, how do you develop critical thinking so people ask the right questions and you can build the right information and data? How do you grow from being a communicator to having an understanding of what business you're yeah. and yeah. the difference it makes to business? And that that's where things like the global standard play a big role as well. So I mean, we talked about young people coming into the business. What tips or advice would you give to someone entering the communication profession today or this year learn engage ask questions don't just rest on what's comfortable and just because everybody's on instagram you just mm -hmm. do instagram yeah uh, the communications profession is so much more and i hear very often younger people or even mid career saying we're struggling to get ahead at the c-suite table and I think partly is because communicators are not very good at building their own credentials. In my field, when a communicator is responsible for crisis manager, it still boggles the mind when I realize that most of them have never seen a risk register. You know, how, how do you develop that? I mean, you, you have to develop critical thinking. You have to ask questions that other people may not be asking. We have a colleague who's a psychologist who always has a great saying who's saying, the best questions are the midwives to solutions. Be inquisitive, have a critical mind, grow, take on yeah. all the learning you can get, which is what I did when I was on my own in Taiwan and I was just starting and, and IABC was fantastic. I do think IABC needs to hone in what it offers the profession and include the traditional skills that are essential to communicators. There's definitely that, but there's all the kind of bits around the outside you know, like your work, like understanding business, how to operate at the senior level, which I think is equally important. Yeah, so it's a comp combination of skills, understanding that are more general with specific technical skills in yeah. various areas of communication. You can't be an expert in all. No. But, uh, but I, I've got a bunch of people from a client right now that are marketing communications and the company at head office is trying to move them into corporate communication. Ooh, it's mm -hmm, tricky. Huge. It's huge because they've been just focused on their product and marketing. These are not, you know, 22 year olds. These are late 20s, 30. I think if IABC can figure out a way to make that bridge and expand that and give those people, you can't have a seat at the table if you don't have the credibility. The only think... way to be the credibility is to build knowledge. And as a lot of people have said, you know, you might get invited to sit at the table once, but you might not get invited back without that. And I think that's the, the critical thing. So, you know, I'm loving this conversation. We could talk probably forever, but I'm conscious of time. So do you have any final words or anything you'd like to say that we haven't covered? Well, once all this is announced, I was thinking it would be now that the three fellows of the class of 21s are non-Americans or non-North Americans. I think it would be really nice to get together with them and then think, okay, as fellows, what can we contribute 
Mm -hmm. to either support the young, but also to challenge and get feedback from senior leaders. Could be that. That's a good idea. I'll I'll take a note of that and watch the space. So thank you very much for your time and hope to get to meet you in person at some point soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Stephen. 